So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing. And God, we thank you that we can put on the garment of praise to lift the spirit of heaviness. But God, as we enter into your word, we ask that your word be what it is, that it would not um, be mine, but it would be yours, and that it would be powerful, that it would equip us, that, God, it would not return void. And we just ask, ask that you would anoint us during this time with just an understanding so we can walk boldly into 2021 with confidence and faith. We love you for all that you do in your name. Amen. Well, um, I don't get up here often, and so I always wrestle with what to teach. And one of these, oh, this was one of those times where I was kind of wrestling with what I should talk about. And I'll tell you, God really compelled me to talk to you about what we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to talk about faith. And it was one of those situations where, like, God just woke me up really early in the morning, and I just felt him tugging to saying, spend time with me. I want to show you something. And so we had our quiet time, and I'm talking with him, and, and I'm just reading through the book of Romans, and I come to Romans chapter 4, and I felt like him saying, I want you to teach this. And so, okay, okay. And then he goes, I want you to talk about faith. And I'm like, all right. And uh, I'll tell you, it's tough coming up here because Pastor Dan does a great job talking about faith. And so I think I'm going to come at a little bit different point of view, but I think we're all going to be blessed as we walk boldly in confidence and faith this year. But I'm also fascinated because just looking at the things that our church has been experiencing, this new building and just what we have coming along with our night of worship and the opportunity for us to pray and fast, I believe God's got some incredible things about to unfold for our church. And so us stepping into faith is a big reason for us to do this, for us to understand it. Now, I understand that when I say faith, you may have a myriad of words coming to your mind. Some of you hear faith and you go, the doctrines of what we believe. This is my faith. And that's good. And some of us are, you know, I practice my faith in communion and baptism. And that is good as well. And for other of us, faith is the working of the Holy Spirit. It ramps us in, a, in us and we get to see things and speak things. And, and that's also good. Because you know what? Our faith as Christians is all of that. It's combined. But sometimes, due to our backgrounds or perspectives, we limit it down to one particular thing rather than all of it. And so I want us to look today at faith. And I think the best way for us to do that is to start with a simple definition. We're going to pick that up on the outline in Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So if I was to break this down for us as a simple definition, I would say, write this down. Faith is trusting that a divine intervention will occur before there is evidence that it will. Faith is trusting that a divine intervention will occur before there is evidence that it will. So when I'm thinking about this and, and chewing on what faith is like, to me, as a systems guy, like I put things in boxes and places and organize it. To me, it sounds like a process, okay? So I want to show you a concept. This isn't anything spectacular, but it's just a process that I believe we go through as we experience faith. And so write this down. The number one thing that we do when we experience our faith process is we have an issue, right? We come to God, we're saying, this is the issue, the situation that I'm facing, and that's what we present to him. But the next thing that we have to do is we have to seek out what God can do in this. And so we need a promise. And so we seek his promises. 
Pastor Dan often talks about utilizing God's word for the promises. That's how we determine what he can do. Once we understand what God can do, now it's our responsibility, so we respond in faith. That's when we're taking steps of faith. We feel God directing us in a, in a particular way, and so we follow that way. And then finally, we wait for a God-given outcome. We wait for God to do what he said he was going to do. We wait for him to divinely interact with us. Now, I think this is really helpful for us as a church, as believers, to understand this process because sometimes we're going through a situation, we have an issue, and we are so stuck on it that we won't even look at the promises. We can't even get there. And there's sometimes where it's like, I don't even know what promises to look for. And so this is where it's so helpful because we can almost use this as a common language, a dialogue or a way to diagnose what's going on. Because maybe even we get to the point where we, we've seen our issue, we have our promises, and then we move to the point where we're now trying to respond in faith, but God's asking us to do some stuff. And we're like, if I do that, I might feel a little foolish. And maybe we choose not to. And even still, sometimes we get to the point where we have seen our issue, we have seeked his promises, we have responded in faith, and now we are waiting on our God-given outcome. And sometimes we as believers have to rally around each other and saying, you have this, you can do this. Because James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when we face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so sometimes we are waiting on a God-given outcome because that period of enduring is what we need for our next God-given outcome. And we have to keep moving and pressing. Now let's make sure this is right. So I want to show a little bit more of an example utilizing this. Let's say our issue is an illness, right? So we're going to seek his promise and maybe we could use Exodus 16, 26 that says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Right? So we can now claim the fact that I have a God that's going to heal me. So maybe we can respond in faith. Well, you know, when it comes to healing, we believe that you could be healed instantly or you could use a medical practitioner. Both are fine. You shouldn't feel bad if you choose one way or another. But we do believe that healings do take place nowadays. But if the bare minimum, maybe we could say we respond in faith with our words. And so... The way I would change things by responding in faith, I'm not going to run around going, I'm sick, I've got this. I would actually change my words responding in faith saying, my God is healing me. I'm being healed. I will be healed. I'm at the bare minimum changing that. But my faith actually changes all of that, the way we respond. And then my God-given outcome is healing. Now, just because that was a big process, I want to do it one more time, and I want to look at a different issue. Let's look at an issue of sin. What could be our promise? How about Romans 10 verse 9 that says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. All right? So then how would we respond in faith because of this? We would respond in faith through repentance. Don't, when we repent, don't we change everything about our lives because of the way we believe God is showing up? I know people that change their jobs, 
changed their locations. They had tattoos and they had them removed. I changed my words. I don't use certain words anymore. You know, like I change everything about that. And I don't even have the evidence of my God-given outcome yet. But I started changing everything. And what's our God-given outcome? It's our salvation. So even as we as believers accept the salvation that God's giving us, without even seeing the full evidence of it, we do change everything. And yet, sometimes we look at healing as a different situation going, no, 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 that's too big. That's different. But it's not different. It's actually the same faith. The same faith that we look at for our healing, for our salvation, is the same faith we look at when we pray, when we turn to the scriptures, when we come to the church in our anticipation for God to move. It's the same faith. And for sometimes we need to understand that because a lot of times we've disconnected that and it's the same faith. Paul's going to get us digging into Romans chapter four. But before we do that, we actually have to pick up on a crash course on a gentleman named Abraham. Now, most of you guys are familiar with Abraham, but just in case you're not, um, Abraham is presented to us in Roman, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 12. His original name is Abram and he's married to Sarai. And at 75 years old, God comes to Abraham and Sarai and says, you're going to have kids. You're going to be a father of a great nation. And what's tough about that is Abram, meaning exalted father, he has no kids. There is no uh, progeny, if you will, for him to, uh, to see that promise that God's giving him. We pick up in chapter 13 and God reminds Abram that you're going to have descendants. We move to 15. God promises Abram that he's going to have a son. He's 86 years old at this point. He's waiting on that God-given outcome. In chapter 16, Abram and Sarah, they try to do it a different route, and it's not a good choice. In chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old at this point. And God says, I'm changing your name from Abram. No longer will you be an exalted father. I'm changing your name to Abraham. You will be a father of many nations. And he introduces an interesting concept of circumcision to Abraham. He says, that's cool. And then it's a sign of his promise. <laughs> and, but he says this. He says, one year from now, your wife Sarah will be with child and you are going to name him Isaac. Now, all of this is so important because as Paul gets us into Romans chapter 4, he's using Abraham as the illustration of our faith. And if you don't know this background, this is going to get a little confusing. So let's go ahead and pick up in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Anytime I elongate a word, drawing it out, go ahead and assume I want you to underline it with me. All right? Let's dig in. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. So a simple question is being proposed and Paul's going to dig into it. And it's, how are we justified? And justified, justification is a big Christianese word that we toss around. I always like to make sure we um, uh, define those. And so write this down. Justification simply means just as if I never sinned. Justification simply means just as if I never sinned. 
And it's important for us to see this because we're going to play out in this interaction of how do we get justification? And the whole dialogue is justification comes from faith. And as he illuminates more of the information about faith, we can understand more parts about how faith operates, giving us more confidence in it. And the main thing that we're going to see is he's going to say faith or our justification does not come through works, but by faith. And that's why he says no one can boast about it. And think about this. How awesome is the fact that our faith comes from a relationship with God? It's nothing that we did. We didn't have to do anything to get it. It just is there. But if, imagine for a second, if Christianity was all about the works that we had to do, how awful would church become? It's this place where everybody gets to come and boast about all the things that they did. Oh, this week I knocked on so many doors and this, I baked these cookies and these are people. It'd just be boasting. It wouldn't be about what our amazing God did. It would be all about the things that we did. You would take a guy like Billy Graham that went around the world preaching the gospel. And when he gets to heaven, you go, oh, my God, here he comes again. I hate it when he tells these stories, you know. But really, when I, in, in all retrospect, we don't have to worry about boasting. None of us can claim anything significant when we get to heaven because it's by faith. Now, so write this down. Faith builds our relationship with God. Faith builds our relationship with God. So Paul's going to keep building on this question. How are we justified? So he picks up in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited. As righteousness, just as David also speaks on the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not take into account. Excuse me. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So the text is telling us why faith is so important because it, it is how we receive our salvation but it's at the same time, again, it's reinforcing the fact that it's not anything, the work that we accomplish. He starts giving us this example of a financial term. Some of you guys, your Bible may have said accounted or reckoned. I really like the way it says credited. For an example, if you have a bank account and then you take more money out of the account that was there, you now owe that institution. You are in debt to them. Now, you can work your wages off, right, and put money back in the bank or finish paying out the account, and what your account is now reconciled or balanced, right? But he's not saying reconciled or balanced. He's saying credited, which means that you would actually have money left over to your favor, and that's a credit. Now, when he's talking about these laborers doing the work, he's talking about a credit. There's a blessing. There's extra. And then he mentions the fact that there's a blessing on the person that doesn't do any of the work, but receives the credit in advance. That's what we have. That's what faith gives us. We receive the credit in advance. We have this incredible thing. That's how we get our righteousness. Write this down. Operating in faith is to our credit. 
Operating in faith is to our credit. So he needs to keep unpacking about this justification and faith. And so he's going to move into this next part in verse 9. And it says this. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And so this is going to be a really interesting question. You kind of have to have a little bit of a background to understand what he's saying. Because notice the fact he's not talking about circumcision. He's talking about the circumcised. Circumcision being a ritual practice. And that's about all we're going to go into it about for right now. But it was presented to Abraham in Genesis. And Abraham became the first person to initiate and experience circumcision. And then he got everybody else on board. And all the Hebrews from that point were circumcised. They were so, like, they put such high regard to it that they actually called themselves the circumcised. We thought about tossing around that as a term we could use, but we're going to stick with Calvary. So, but, so they called themselves the circumcised. Anybody else that wasn't was the uncircumcised. So he's asking a very particular question. Is this blessing, is the justification through faith just for the Jewish people? Is it for a particular group or is it for anybody? And here's what we want to know. Write this down. Faith is for everyone. Faith is for everyone. And this is really helpful for us because sometimes we make faith a little bit more mystical than it should be. And we think it's, oh, it's only for these people. It's only for the pastors. It's only for the people that have been in church around the world or, you know, anything like that. But that's not the case. What we're seeing, because of how we receive our salvation, that faith has to be available to us. It's faith is for everyone. Right? Look on your outline. It says in Romans 12, 3, it says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So it's, you have it, you have a portion of it to operate on. We're going to keep building on this question. Verse 10. How then was it credited while he was circumcised or while uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And so he shifts the question now. It's not on a particular thing. It's talking about the general practice of circumcision. Which, so he's asking, do you have to do any ritual practices to have faith? If it's not just about being a certain people, what about, what about the things you have to do to just get it? Do you have to do anything? And the answer is no, because Abraham received his righteousness in faith while uncircumcised. And so he didn't have to do anything to have his faith. He just had it. So write this down. Faith is available. Faith is available. You don't have to do anything to get it. And what a relief for some of us as I know that in this room, some of us would say, well, if you just knew my story, if you just, if you just knew my background, you wouldn't say faith, I can have faith. But the truth is, is that faith is available. It has to be because that's how freely God gives us our salvation. If that's how freely it gives our salvation, it comes through the means and the path of faith. And so it's available for us. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe. 
without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who are also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. And so again, we receive our faith freely, which gives us the ability to receive our salvation freely. There wasn't anything that we needed to do, but what's interesting is, is that as soon as we start operating in faith, it now would be like we had done the rituals. It would make us have the appearance, like the sign of circumcision that he's pointing out. We don't take it on, but God gives it to us as soon as we accept the things we do in faith. We take on the appearance. And this is also interesting because it talks about our father Abraham. We sang about it when we were kids. He had many sons. Many sons were father Abraham, right? I am one of them, so are you. The idea is that Abraham opens the door for us to be able to follow in the same steps of faith. He creates the precedence for it. If it was any other way, it would be more bent on how we were operating, making sure that we were following the laws. But because of Abraham's faith, we get to move forward in the same steps. So write this down. Faith was for then and faith is for now also. Faith was for then and faith is for now also. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, And he writes this on your outline. It says, For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him, that's Jesus, is our amen to the glory of God through us. Sometimes we think that faith was just this thing that we operated in for a short period of time. And the promises were just for a short period of time. But what we find out is Abraham created the precedence for us to operate in faith and to receive our righteousness through faith. And then also at the same time, Jesus came along and he paid the penalty so that we could receive all the promises. And so all of a sudden now we can look in through scripture and as we face an issue, we can seek out a promise and we can go, yes, I I believe you can do that, God. And I believe you would do that for me because all of a sudden now that becomes his glory through us, the way he would fulfill his promises. So we can have faith. It's not for a particular time. It's for us right now. Jesus fulfilled and he made the way so that we could have it. And by the way, we do have these promise booklets. They're out in the resource center. And basically what we did is made it super simple. Um, You can look it up and you can find the issue, kind of what you're facing. And there's the scriptures right there for it, for you to claim those promises. So if you don't have that resource center, and it's also available on our website in a digital format, we want you to know scriptures. We want you to know these promises. They're very helpful. All right, let's pick back up in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. So he has to expound on this question of how am I justified? How are we justified through 
faith, especially when we have the law. The law was a bunch of ordinances that were given to the Jewish people for how they should operate, how they could be right with God. And what he's saying is it's not just we're, because we have faith, we dismiss the law because we actually really need the law to help us. Because the law told us this, write this down. The law tells us we need a savior. The law tells us we need a savior. Ultimately, as we would look through the ordinances that would be the law, we would find out that it would be impossible for us to keep every single one, for us to be perfect like that. And so God had to come up with a way for atonement to come through so that when we failed, we could still receive our righteousness. And so he comes up with this way, but What's great is, is that the way comes about through the relationship with Christ. We don't have to worry about holding to the letter because that's legalism. We don't believe in legalism. That's not what Christ is for. It's a relationship. Our faith comes through a relationship with Christ. So write this down. Faith removes legalism. Faith removes legalism. And this is so helpful for me because there are times when I'm seeking God to do something in my life and then I screw up. And if it was legalism, I would say, I can't be blessed anymore. God's, God's got it out for me now. But that's not the case. I can still be blessed because he's a loving father that wants to bless his kids. And so we don't have a faith of legalism. Our faith removes it. Verse 16, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants, not only who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. So it's reminding us that based on the promises that was received to Abraham, a father of many nations, he was, God was opening up this way where we would be blessed. We would be part of the nations that would come about from it. And what he's saying is he's reiterating the fact that it's by faith in accordance with grace. And just as we remember, grace is when we receive something that we do not deserve. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our faith, we actually deserve a lot worse. But because Jesus paid the penalty for us, we have grace. We have our credit in our favor. And so we receive something. And imagine this, if it was based on legalism, if it was based on the works that I was having to do, if I did screw up, it would be removed from me, right? But because it's not based on what I accomplished, but what he accomplished, then it's something that cannot be removed from me. It is guaranteed. Your relationship with Christ is guaranteed because it is through faith and grace. And so you don't have to worry about, am I saved? No, it's guaranteed. It's yours. Write this down. Faith secures our promise. Faith secures our promise. Let's finish up verse 17. It says, In the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead 
and calls into being that which does not exist. So the, Paul is giving us some understanding of how did Abraham believe that God was going to make him a great nation, give him a son? Well, it says that he kind of believed that God could give life to a dead thing or from nothing, he could speak something into existence, right? Kind of Genesis 1.1, out of nothing, God spoke the world into existence. And then we also have seen Christ resurrected, dead, and then restored. This is kind of the parameters in which Abraham is giving God to operate in from the beginning to the end and again. And so what we want to understand is this. Write this down. Faith declares more of God's abilities than his limitations. He's saying, God, you can do this from the beginning to the end and anything in between when it comes to the promises you've made for me. And so when we're thinking about the promises that we're seeking and in the situation that we have, how can God do it? Well, he could do it from speaking something into existence to taking something that was dead and restoring it. Anything in between. Those are the possibilities that we want God to have. We want to make sure that we give God every means to move. Verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations to that which, was, which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, a little bit of a confusing statement, hope against hope, just to clarify, kind of saying, even though there shouldn't be any hope, he believed. Even though there shouldn't be any hope, he believed. And so what I see is this, write this down. Faith can still work even if it seems hopeless. Faith can still work even if it seems hopeless. We shouldn't approach God when we're at the end of our rope when we're facing a situation. But the best part is, is that he'll still operate there. He'll say, great, thank you for coming to me. At the end of the ro in your rope, awesome. This is where I do great things. But we should always start believing God in advance. Because the way God sees things and the way, honestly, we as believers see things are radically different. Look on your outline, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. It's about our faith in believing that God can, from nothing, speak it into existence all the way from taking something dead and restoring it. He can do great things. And what we notice is the fact that it kept saying how he believed and so write this down. Faith agrees with what God's word says. Abraham believed God. He believed God. He was agreeing. Yes, this is true. I believe you. And when he's quoting that, he's quoting an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It comes out of the verse out of Genesis 15, 6, that he believed. On your outline, it, it says the Hebrew word is to stand firm, to trust, to be certain, to believe in. The actual Hebrew word is amen, where we get our English word, amen. And so when he's believing, he's going, amen. I believe you, God. You're telling me I'm going to be a father of many nations? Amen. You're telling me I'm going to have a son? Amen. And for us, we have to ask the same question. Are we saying amen? You're telling me you're never going to leave me or forsake me? Amen. You're telling me that you'll provide all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Amen. 
You're telling me that no plague will come near my tent? Amen. That's what we're believing. We're saying amen. Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. When we have faith, we are not being laissez-faire about life. It is not some passive way for us to avoid the big issue. Notice the fact that Abraham contemplated his issue. So you can understand the severity of an issue that you're walking through, but it cannot speak beyond what God is capable of doing. We need to make sure that we always are agreeing, that we are always giving God more ability So write this down. Faith grows from acknowledging God's abilities. Faith grows from acknowledging God's abilities. He said, God, you can speak it into existence or you can take something that was dead and restore it. And you notice the fact that he contemplated all of that and then just worshiped God because of that. Because he understood what God could do. Verse 22. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written, was it credited, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Write this down. Our faith will bless others. Our faith will bless others. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't want my Christianity to be like, oh great, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now I need to wait to die so I can be with him. You know, it's like, that doesn't sound compelling. It doesn't sound great in any capacity whatsoever. I want want a faith where I'm experiencing everything he said I can experience. I want a faith where I am hearing the challenges that he may direct me in and I'm taking those steps and I'm experiencing every reward along the way. I want a faith where when my son (laughs) accepts Jesus, it's because he's seen me demonstrate faith. And he's seen me believe in a great and powerful God. And I want a a church that we believe incredible steps of faith. When the numbers didn't make sense and the time wasn't right, but God shows up. And because we took those steps of faith, it's blessing others. And notice the fact of this on your outline. It says this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. When challenges are in front of us, the issues are big, our faith is our victory. It will overcome the world. We want to say amen to that. We want to believe great things. Now,
I know in this room that when we start talking about faith, there's a lot of emotions that come up. And one of them is uh, dealing with through the idea of unbelief. Because there are Christians and, and you're not alone, but you hit this point of unbelief and then you feel immense shame because you hear all these other stories about all these great things going on and you're like, that's not happening to me. And you feel just immense shame and you honestly don't want to talk about it to other people in the church because of the shame. But can I just help you understand there's a couple different ways that we can look at this and I think it'll be a blessing to you to understand maybe the types of unbelief that are there. And so there's two types. The first one is doubting. Write this down. And it says no to what God says. Doubting says no to what God says. God's like, I want you to do this. No. I want you to do this. No. You could do this. No. No. You know, and, and like the easiest way to think about it is you say, I doubt that. You know, not happening. It contends. When we're in that space, well, let me give you the best example of it too. Matthew 21, 21. We have that on the screens? There we go. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what was done to this fig tree, Jesus withered it up, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it will happen. Doubt. If you make sure that you say, no, that can't happen. That obviously can't take place. That's the doubt, right? It's contending with what God said. But we can move mountains. We can do that. We can accept what God says. Now, when we face the situation with doubt, if we're saying no, maybe sometimes we got to get to the point where we kind of roll back and when we got to start figuring out when we started saying yes to God and just start fresh and just have a, a new start. And we just maybe need to say yes again and say amen again. The other type of unbelief, and we'll just call it unbelief, but write this down, it says, I don't know to what God says. I don't know to what God says. It's uncertain. The best example of this is in Matthew 28, 16 and 17. It's on your outline. And it says this, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And underlined, but some were doubtful unbelief, uncertainty. And if you don't have an idea of where you're at based on the address, Matthew 28, this is at the end of the gospel of Matthew, right? So these 11, the disciples, have been with Jesus since the beginning. They have seen him as the fulfillment of prophecies. They've seen the blind with, like, receive their sight, the lame walk, leprosy healed, he has fed thousands. He has fed thousands more. He has walked on water, calmed storms. He has died and rose again. And some were doubtful. They were just uncertain. They didn't know how to proceed. They didn't know what's next. They didn't know. They just needed clarity. So <laughs> I think some of us need to take a minute and just go, okay, if these guys... They've been with Jesus, seen what they saw, were doubtful. They were, had uncertainty. Uncertainty is okay for us too, but we just need to take a moment and gain some clarity 
on what does God's word say? Can I do what it says I can do and gain that clarity? And obviously there are times where we go through difficult seasons in our life and we just need to start over. Paul says to his protege in Timothy, he says, remember to kindle afresh the gift that is in you. If it's been a while that you've experienced this time where you can say yes to God and you say amen to God and you're agreeing with him, where you haven't been battling unbelief or doubt, you know, but if you need that, where you need to kindle it afresh, let us be the church for you. You know, our prayer partners, they're in the next step room. You walk out through the doors and to the right and they're there for you and they can pray with you. No one, no one should ever experience anything less than the God of the universe that can speak it and create it to the point of taking that which is dead and restoring it. No one should experience anything less than those abilities in their life. And no one should experience anything less than a faith that says to the mountain, move, and it move. That's what we have. If you need prayer today, go out to the next step room, receive prayer, kindle afresh the gift that is in you. Because it is a gift, and because when you have it, it's going to bless others. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this church. We thank you that we come together every week believing that your word is powerful, that it's useful for us, for equipping us, that we can take it and it aids in our righteousness, God. And we thank you that you went out of your way to create a way for us to have a relationship with you. So it's not about what we did. So you secure it for us and you guarantee it for us, God. Allow us today to walk out feeling confident on the faith that we have, the salvation that we have, and God, allow us to face 2021 with boldness, knowing that no matter what the issue is, you have a promise for us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, God. And that we can walk boldly, not by sight, but by faith. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We ask that you be with us until we meet again. In your name, amen.